Introduction to Feminist and Social Justice Studies. This is the ninth audio episode of the semester-long course for the Gender, Sexuality, Feminist, and Social Justice Studies program at McGill University, taking place in the fall of 2021. My name is Dr. Alex Ketchum. I'm your professor for this course. I'm joined by three teaching assistants who are graduate students at McGill University. Our teaching team will lead you through the materials of this course. Today's episode will discuss, one, global and transnational feminisms, two, we will look at feminist activism outside the U.S. and Canadian context, and three, we will speak to the topic of borders and borderlands. Let's get started. Today's song is Hanu Mashuar Yaman by the band Ewa. The song's title means, Here is Not Yemen, and the lyrics reflect this immigrant experience. The translation to the part of the section I played is, Where will I stake my home? You have a tent for now, or at least a small shack, along with four other families. And here I will raise a family. Don't let them take your daughter. I will find myself a job with an income, either in cleaning or working the earth and I will learn the language, lose the accent. With time, I'll feel like I belong. Here is not Yemen. Ewa, Arabic for yes, is an Israeli band made up of three sisters. They mix Yemenite traditional music with hip-hop and electronic music, singing songs in a Yemenite dialect of Judeo-Arabic. Their paternal grandparents were brought to Israel during Operation Magic Carpet in 1949 and 1950, when thousands of Jewish people in Yemen were brought to Israel Ewa have recently released a second album, which tells the story of their grandmother traveling from Yemen to Israel. The song talks about the difficulty of being between two places, of being looked down upon, being of more than one culture, of language, accent, and misunderstanding, a theme we see too in Gloria Anzaldúa's work. Today's lecture is on global and transnational feminisms. Most of our course focuses on the Canadian-American context, in part because the course takes place in Montreal, in part because there's so much material to cover already, so keeping the discussion within a specific geographic context allows us to have more directed focus, and also because of my own area of expertise. However, it is important to remember that feminist theory and praxis, which is simply putting the theory into practice, so the word is praxis, is always in conversation with feminisms around the world. Today, we will build on Chandra Mohanty's writings from last class. Let us begin by defining global and transnational feminisms. Global feminism emerged in the 1980s as a global application of women's rights movements, adopting global causes and starting movements to dismantle global patriarchy. Transnational feminism 
emerged in the 1980s and early 1990s to challenge white feminist assumptions, which Mahanti discussed. Transnational feminism focuses on intersections across nationality, sex, gender, and class within the context of modern-day imperialism and colonialism. Within transnational feminism, women around the world suffer from forms of oppression that are inherently different from a homogenized experience of womanhood or sisterhood that centers white, middle-class, straight women in the West. Mahanti positioned India as the context from which she was writing in the piece that we looked at in the last lecture. Amina Mama is a Nigerian-British writer, feminist, and academic. Her main areas of focus have been post-colonial, militarist, and gender issues. She positions feminist studies in an African context. To note, it is not me categorizing her work as within an African rather than Nigerian context. This is how Mama describes her own work. In her work, Critical Connections, Feminist Studies in African Context, in the book Feminisms and Development, Mama talks about the debunking the myth that feminism only generated good and radical feelings. She discusses how Africa has been constructed as a dark land of fan- exotic fantasy with violence, but what Mama calls modern feminism emerged in the 18th and 19th centuries, possibly earlier. She makes the argument in her work that in 20th and 21st centuries, the connections between feminist activism and scholarship in African were compromised by Western educational institutions. Amina Mama is a speaker for the Know Your African Feminist series produced by the African Feminist Forum, to which I have linked in the transcript. The series has captions. As described by the organizers, this project assembles 28 interviews with feminists from 13 countries, interspersed with footage from the forum itself, offers documentation of African feminist movement history, memories of game-changing political movements, stories of activism unearthed from pan-African feminist research, and analysis of contemporary feminist struggles by the women who have bravely helped shape them. I want to thank my former teaching assistant, Yasmin Shazda, for introducing me to Mama's work. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, whose work you may know from her popular TED Talk, We Should All Be Feminists, and Book of the Same Name, in addition to books Purple Hibiscus, Half of a Yellow Sun, The Thing Around Your Neck, and Americana. She is a Nigerian feminist writer whose work was also sampled on the Beyonce song, Flawless. I want to play a three-minute cut from her TED Talk, The Danger of a Single Story. I've also included the link to the full video, which also has transcripts available in 49 languages. I've also pasted the transcription into our transcript for the section that I am playing. I come from a conventional middle-class Nigerian family. My father was a professor. My mother was an administrator. And so we had, as was the norm, living domestic help who would often come from nearby rural villages. So the year I turned eight, we got a new houseboy. His name was Fide. The only thing my mother told us about him was that his family was very poor. My mother sent yams and rice and our old clothes to his family. And when I didn't finish my dinner, my mother would say, finish your food. Don't you know people like Fide's family have nothing? So I felt enormous pity for Fide's family. Then one Saturday, we went to his village to visit. And his mother showed us a beautifully patterned basket 
made of dyed raffia that his brother had made. I was startled. It had not occurred to me that anybody in his family could actually make something. All I had heard about them was how poor they were, so that it had become impossible for me to see them as anything else but poor. Their poverty was my single story of them. Years later, I thought about this when I left Nigeria to go to university in the United States. I was 19. My American roommate was shocked by me. She asked where I had learned to speak English so well and was confused when I said that Nigeria happened to have English as its official language. She asked if she could listen to what she called my tribal music and was consequently very disappointed when I produced my tape of Mariah Carey. <laughs> she assumed that I did not know how to use a stove. What struck me was this. She had felt sorry for me even before she saw me. Her default position toward me as an African was a kind of patronizing, well-meaning pity. My roommate had a single story of Africa, a single story of catastrophe. In this single story, there was no possibility of Africans being similar to her in any way, no possibility of feelings more complex than pity, no possibility of a connection as human equals. So that is how to create a single story, show a people as one thing, as only one thing, over and over again, and that is what they become. It is impossible to talk about the single story without talking about power. There is a word, an Igbo word, that I think about whenever I think about the power structures of the world, and it is nkale. It's a noun that loosely translates to to be greater than another. Like our economic and political worlds, stories too are defined by the principle of nkale. How they are told, who tells them, when they are told, how many stories are told, are really dependent on power. Power is the ability not just to tell the story of another person, but to make it the definitive story of that person. The Palestinian poet Murid Baghouti writes that if you want to dispossess a people, the simplest way to do it is to tell their story and to start with secondly. Start the story with the arrows of the Native Americans and not with the arrival of the British, and you have an entirely different story. Start the story with the failure of the African state, and not with the colonial creation of the African state, and you have an entirely different story. So in this clip, here Adichie, like Mohanty, and like Mama, speak to the issue of single stories. Single stories of what the experience of what it means to be a woman and to experience gender oppression. This clip also harkens back to the bell hooks clip from the first lecture, who is the power? Who is the voice of power? How is this reflected? Whose narratives do we focus on, and how does that shape the way we see the world? The writers I've discussed today speak to how generalizations about the West and non-West are problematic. Feminist research and analysis should be grounded within deeper understandings of micro and macro politics and dynamics in the systems you are researching. Western feminism should look critically at its role within global economic and political climate. These writers want us to move beyond literature solely situated in the West and Western thought. This brings us to the reading for today, Gloria Anzaldúa's Borderlands, Towards a New Consciousness, 
from 1987. Anzal Dua was an American scholar of Chicana cultural theory, feminist theory, and queer theory. She was a writer, poet, and activist, focusing on post-colonialism, Chicana feminism, and other themes. Her book, Borderlands, La Frontera, The New Mestiza, is inspired by her life growing up on the Mexico-Texas border. La Conciencia de la Mestiza speaks of developing a new consciousness. Mestiza is an Aztec word meaning torn between ways. It can be used to describe someone of mixed indigenous and European heritage. Anzaldúa's definition of Mestiza is a product of the transfer of the cultural and spiritual values of one's group to another. She is proposing a new way of thinking or a new consciousness, one that is inclusive and breaks down dualisms and binaries. As she writes, La Mestiza undergoes a struggle of flesh, a struggle of borders, an inner war. Like all people, we perceive the vision of reality that our culture communicates. Like others having or living in more than one culture, we get multiple, often opposing messages. This causes a cultural collision. The new Mestiza deals with cultural collisions by developing a tolerance for contradictions and for ambiguity. She writes, Una lucha de fronteras, a struggle of borders, because I, a Mestiza, continually walk out of one culture and into another, because I am in all cultures at the same time. Ama entre de mundos tres, cuatro, me zumba la cabeza con lo contradictorio. Estoy norteada por todas las voces que me hablan. Simultaneamente. In the book, Anzaldúa mixes English and Spanish with several variations. Here she wants to reflect the experience of being of the borderlands, of being more than one world, more than one culture simultaneously. This text is difficult for people who are not bilingual to read. Anzaldúa discusses, discusses several critical issues related to Chicana experiences, heteronormativity, colonialism, and male dominance. She gives a very personal account of the oppression of Chicana lesbians and talks about the gendered expectations of behavior that normalizes women's deference to male authority in her community. For Anzaldúa, the idea of the new mestiza is a new higher consciousness that will break down barriers and fight against the male-female dualistic norms of gender. The first half of the book is a series of essays which focus on the borderlands between cultures. The later half of the book is poetry. This classic text is important to keep in mind because it also disrupts the idea of grounding feminisms solely within their national context, as that is not how they are experienced. The scholars we have looked at today remind us that it is important to not universalize experiences. It is important to reclaim histories, especially from the colonial context. There is danger in speaking for others, especially when one tries to homogenize experience. We must remember that we are situated in a specific political, social, and economic context. This is the end of the lecture for today. All the video, songs, images, and graphics used in the podcast and transcript belong to their respective owners, and I do not claim any right over them. The opening bell sound is School Bell Wave from 13F Panska Stranska Michaela, and the closing bell is from Inspector J's Bell Counter A.Wave at freesound.org. Fair dealing is an exception in the Canadian Copyright Act that outlines the permitted unauthorized use of copyright materials for specific mandated purposes. In Canada, these purposes include research, private study, education, parody, search, satire, criticism, review, or news reporting. For research and private study, education, parody, and satire, no special requirements are required. For criticism, review, and news reporting, the source and author must be named to constitute fair dealing.